following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. Hey everybody, the Forbes Under 30 podcast is bringing in the new year with a panel moderated by Moira Forbes, the executive vice president of Forbes Media. The discussion took place at the Forbes Under 30 Summit in October of last year. Featured is John Scully. He was the president of PepsiCo and CEO of Apple when Steve Jobs was in his 20s. Also on the panel are two entrepreneurs, Carl Pei, co-founder of OnePlus, and Ryan Williams, founder of Cadre. Here we go. Good morning. I'm, I'm really excited for this next session uh, and have the opportunity to hear from John Scully. If there's one person who knows how to disrupt an industry, create an enduring brand, or see opportunities that others do not, it is the person to my left. John is the former president of PepsiCo. He was the CEO of Apple during, uh, for a decade during some of its most tra- transformative years alongside the visionary Steve Jobs. Since then, John has launched a number of successful ventures and invested in a number of successful ventures in a wide range of industries from telecom to healthcare to wearables to AI. You name it, John has, uh, John has uh, been, a, been a part of it. He's a recognized expert and thinker on how high-tech tools can be leveraged to tackle challenge such as the reinvention of industry and corporate revitalization. He's also a great mentor to startup, startups. In today's conversation, we're going to be talking about some of his perspectives in the entrepreneurial landscape, how it's changed uh, since he first went to Silicon Valley, what are the opportunities, what are some of the new dynamics that he's seen today and opportunities to take advantage of. We'll then call on stage two really incredible entrepreneurs, Carl Pei and Ryan Williams, who will share a little bit about their entrepreneurial journey. So, John, welcome. Uh, I want to start off because you and I were talking uh, in the green room earlier, and I was really struck because you said when you moved out to Silicon Valley, no one even used the word entrepreneur. So talk a little bit about some of the changes, the most dramatic changes that you've seen in the space uh, in the past you know, decade or so. What's changed and what's remained the same? When I first met Steve Jobs, it was in 1982. And... <clears throat> Unless you are, uh, you know, in my generation, you probably remember Steve Jobs as a giant uh, in industry who changed the world, made a dent in the universe, brilliant, uh, the world's greatest CEO. Uh, But he was a middle-aged man. When I knew Steve Jobs, uh, he was 27 years old. Uh, He was still in the early days of forming his foundational principles that Apple is built on today. And he was the age of many of you in in this audience. When I showed up in Silicon Valley, Apple was uh, a one-story building with a pirate flag on the roof. The average age of the Mac team, this was a year before the Mac was introduced, was 22 years old. And the word entrepreneur was a word I'd never heard before. 
And, and by the way, neither had anyone else out of corporate America. So when we think about the world today, uh, we've seen it go from you know, people who created the value of entrepreneurialism back in those early days in the 1980s, the beginning of the personal computer industry, to the entrepreneurial economy sitting alongside of the mainstream economy. And today, as we look out into the future, uh, entrepreneurial capitalism is the economy. And so that means that big companies uh, are going to have to justify why they, do, why they exist. Uh, it used to be that entrepreneurial companies had to justify why they existed, and now it's flipped. And so you see that uh, Tesla's worth two times the value market cap of Ford. You see that Amazon is worth two times the market value of Walmart. And the world is changing rapidly. So entrepreneurial capitalism, that's the world uh, that you're going to live in as entrepreneurs. And breaking away for a moment to thank Amica Insurance and LifeLock for supporting the Forbes Under 30 podcast. More about these sponsors later in the show. I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the changing dynamics in terms of what it takes for a company to, to thrive today. You said that you believe in order for the next generation of multi-million or billion-dollar businesses to succeed, they need to focus on delivering the customer experience, that in a globalized market, an increasingly competitive, commoditized market, that's really going to be a defining principle for the companies that emerge. Speak a little bit about that. Well, the way that people looked at value, certainly in the consumer businesses in the past, is that you would build big brands. I lived in that world of Pepsi was a brand, Apple is a brand. And the world we're living in now is that uh, the real brand is the experience by the customer. And when I was at uh, Pepsi, uh, we were outsold when I was first appointed marketing VP we were outsold 10 to 1 in 50% of the country. By the end of the decade of the 70s, which was called the Cola Wars, uh, Pepsi outsold Coke and was the largest selling consumer package good in the United States. And someone said, so how did we do it? And the answer was, Coke dominated the brand. They were the reality. Perception leads reality. So we had to own perception, which meant uh, we had to own the experience. And in Adam's, uh, Adam Newman's uh, conversation earlier, uh, he talked about the value of WeWorks is all around the experience. Uh, brands that are sustainable are all about the customer, satisfying the customer, and giving them an incredible experience. And if you think about it any other way, you're going to miss the opportunity. So I often tell entrepreneurs, I say, forget about the business plan. Business, it's just a budgeting process. Uh, think about the customer plan. Think about what's a really, really better way of solving a problem for a customer. Then how do you engage the customer? What's the cost of customer acquisition? How do you retain the customer? How do you monetize the customer? How do you build a lifetime uh, relationship with the customer? It's all about customers. And the reason is that we as uh, users of media t today, we trust one another, even if we don't know each other physically, we trust the, the customer's experience with a product or service more than we do the traditional established brands. So customers are incredibly empowered. 
You have said that when you go to Silicon Valley, you see far more talented people and far more ideas than you do successful companies. Because you do have such a unique vantage point as an advisor and investor, uh, I would be interested to hear you talk a little bit about some of the, the common qualities that have allowed some entrepreneurs to achieve such uncommon success. Are there some threads that you see time and time again that you know, help, help propel and allow for, for certain companies to thrive and others to, to flounder? Well, when people show up in Silicon Valley, uh, they may have been valedictorian of their class, and then they discover everybody's been a valedictorian of their class. In other words, just being smart uh, isn't enough. Uh, what I think that I have observed over the years is that it's always about the people. Always. Uh, yes, there's cool technology. Yes, they're good ideas. Yes, they're smart people. But it's always about the people who build great companies. And I think that what I try to do, and others like me who are you know, mentors, investors, um, you know, trying to be a, a thought leader, advisor. I remember at MIT, one of my famous professors, uh, Dr. Marvin Minsky, used to say, he said, you don't really understand something well until you understand it more than one way. And I've always thought about that because when I was at Pepsi, I thought we were in the coolest industry possible. You know, if you work for Coke, for Pepsi, for McDonald's, I mean, that was just, you know, an awesome uh, job. And yet I look back at it today and I said, I can't believe it. You know, I was selling sugar water. You know, I was selling snack foods that had, you know, triglyceride fats. I was selling plastic bags and plastic bottles that are an environmental problem now. It never occurred to us. You know, so we, I now look at those same facts in an entirely different, different way. What entrepreneurs have to do is to have multiple perspectives of the same facts. The facts are real. Facts don't change. But your perspective of interpreting facts can change. And so the advantage I have in many ways is that we don't have just one exponential technology. Like in my era, it was Moore's Law. We've had that for 46 years. Processors uh, double every couple of years. So it changes what you can, you can do. Now we have probably five, six exponential growth technologies. And if you can start to have a perspective of what's going on in precision medicine with genomics and stem cells, what's going on in artificial intelligence, AI is the new OS, you know, what's going on uh, in omni-channels, you know, both physical and online you know, channels in, in um, retail, you know, what's going on in reinventing media, you know, looking at these things and saying, what can I learn? Because uh, Alvin Toffler, who wrote a book years ago called The Third Wave, uh, you, you may not have heard of him because he, you know, he goes back to the 1970s, but uh, he used to come and visit uh, at Apple frequently, and he used to say, first you learn, then you unlearn, then you relearn. In other words, the world is not static, and the world you are building your companies in is dynamic, it's flexible, it's adaptable. So it isn't just about innovation. For instance, Darwin actually never said survival of the, of the fittest. Uh, what he actually said was uh, the ability of those species that are able to adapt are the ones that survive. And that's what it's about. It's about being able to be an adaptive innovator. 
It's, that's easier said than done, though. We talk about we're living times of rapid change, and you constantly have to be adapting and reinventing yourself. What does that actually mean, though? Or, or what advice, at least, or perspectives do you have to, to put that into practice? It's really hard. Uh, and you have to be prepared to fail. Uh, one of the things that's made uh, Silicon Valley such an inspirational uh, model for people all over the world, uh, there are a lot of people who are smart all over the world. Uh, but the culture in Silicon Valley is always about uh, when you make a mistake and fail, the first question is, so what did you learn? Uh, there are some cultures, and some of you may even come from these parts of the world, where if you fail, you're done, you're finished, it's over. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that's unique still about the U.S., that, that we are providing resources for people, whether they fail, whether they're successful. You pick yourself back up and start again. I've failed many times. Uh, most of the people I know who are still around and have been doing things as long as I have, have also failed. doesn't mean we haven't been successful along the way, too. So you have to uh, get yourself uh, into the head uh, of failure is okay. Making mistakes is okay. Uh, just pick yourself up and say, what did I learn from it? And hopefully, don't make the same mistake next time. And then it's always about never giving up. Never, ever, ever give up. You know, what was one of Steve Jobs' greatest uh, strengths? He never gave up. You know, he made mistakes, he came back, he never gave up. And of course, he ended up, you know, changing all of our world. If, if failures and setbacks are uh, allow us some of the deepest learnings, before we bring the other panelists out, I would love for you to reflect back. You've had this incredible career, uh, many failures and missteps, successes as well, but if, if failure is the greatest teacher, then describe one or two of your most successful failures, at least from that perspective, of what you, you learned from it, albeit maybe in a painful, stinging way. I think... Uh one of my biggest failures was that I didn't understand when I came to Silicon Valley what a founder was. The world I came out of was corporate America. The path for people in business in my generation was you came out of school or business school or wherever you happened to have last graduated, and then you went and worked for a large corporation. So the idea of the founder of that corporation even being alive, many of these corporations had started you know, 50, 100 years ago. It just, just wasn't in anybody's experience. So uh, when I was in Silicon Valley, I didn't honestly understand that there's a difference between a founder and a professional executive. And I now realize, in hindsight, uh, that founders have to be given more tolerance to make mistakes. Uh, because founders are taking big risks. And they're doing things that maybe no one else is willing to take that risk on, and they are going to make mistakes. Uh, and so if you try to judge a founder by the same criteria that you would judge a professional manager who was brought in. For, so I was a professional manager. I was brought in uh, to help Steve Jobs. And you know, I made mistakes, Steve made mistakes, but I didn't really appreciate, I think, uh, just how you have to think about founders differently. I do now, because I have been you know, a co-founder of, of a number of companies, so I have much more uh, context to appreciate that today than, than I did you know, back in the 
early days of Silicon Valley. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Are you doing a lot of holiday shopping on your mobile device? Retailers expect 54% of holiday shoppers to visit their sites from mobile devices. Scammers see this as an opportunity to steal your credit card information and other personal data by distributing phony retail apps. Be cautious and only download apps from reputable app stores and read reviews for any complaints about malware. One in four people have experienced identity theft. If you're only monitoring your credit, your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not detect. Thieves could sell your information on the dark web or get an online payday loan in your name. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. If you have a problem, U.S.-based restoration specialists will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can uncover threats that you might miss. Join now and get 10% off with the promo code Forbes. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com and use the promo code Forbes. That's Forbes to save 10% right now. Quick last question for you. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that we brought together at this summit who at some point in time will bring in a professional or an operator. Describe where where you see it working or any advice you have in terms of finding a a relationship that's complementary, that thrives, allows the founder to be who they are, but also bring in in some of of potentially the structure or experience. Well, I I think the best model unquestionably is Sheryl Sandberg coming in to work with Mark Zuckerberg. So she didn't come in as the CEO. She came in as the COO. And I think, uh, in in my case, it would have been much better if I had been recruited as the COO of Apple and they had actually made Steve the CEO, which the board didn't think he was ready. Remember, he was 27. Uh, They didn't think he was ready for. Uh, So that... Uh, the, the founder becomes the one who is setting the, the direction without any question, and the professional is there to help them you know, make that possible. That's, that's great advice. Um, thank you for that. And with that, I want to welcome up our, our, our two other panelists. We have Carl Pei, the co-founder and head of Global for OnePlus, and Ryan Williams, the founder and CEO of Cadre. So please welcome them to the stage. So Carl and Ryan are going to talk a little bit about their entrepreneurial journey, and, and uh, John's going to, going to weigh in with some of his um, perspectives, uh, uh, given some of the, the overlap. So Carl, I want to start with you, because you founded OnePlus in 2013. And for those of you who don't know OnePlus, it's a smartphone maker, which gained its popularity by offering premium build, high-performance, unlocked phones at more modest prices. Can I do some market research? How many of you have heard about OnePlus before? Can you raise your hand up? Oh, cool. Good. Quite a few. Well, I, I was really sort of interested in your story because you went into a heavily competitive global market, commoditized to some extent. You were sort of the small fish in the big pond, but in many respects, you had to leverage those, um, those challenges to, to your advantage in terms of your sales model, in terms of your marketing model. So talk about how you created this disruptive company because you weren't able to compete at the scale or in the same way as a lot of the other players were playing? Mm, it's true, we, we didn't have the, the same resources to scale up our manufacturing. In fact, we made our first product, the OnePlus One, 
we were so conservative because we didn't know how many people would buy our phone. That the first batch was only a thousand phones, a thousand phones, and so to to kind of work around this, we made this invite system. So to be able to buy our phone, you had to be invited by a friend who already had a phone. And then the question came to how do we find the first people who who have the original invites?、So、we came up with this campaign. We said that it's already too late in 2013 to start a smartphone company. If you start a company, it has to become more like a movement or more like a religion. So we said. Uh, let's look at some religions. They have rituals. They have、um, initiations. So, if you wanted to buy a OnePlus, you had to take your flagship smartphone from some of the leading companies, smash it, and make a YouTube video and upload it to be considered to be one of the first hundred people who could buy our phone. So that's how it started.、Um, later on, we told people that so 140,000 people signed up for this, and later on, we told people that we're just kidding. You can donate this to charity. But a lot of people still chose to to smash their phones, and these became the first people with our invites to share with their friends. Yeah, if I could just jump in, because I've known Carl almost since the time he he started、uh, One One Plus, and I've been at his offices in Shenzhen, and there really is a, a careful attention to the culture that you've created there. When I think back to when I joined Apple,、uh, we were both a company and a culture. You know, so I was the CEO, and I was the、uh, leader of the company. Steve Jobs was the visionary, the founder, and the leader of the cult. And so that balance between、uh, company and culture is incredibly important. And you ground that in、uh, in the early foundations of, of founding the company. And, and Carl's done a, a brilliant job of that because he is very, very successful with OnePlus、uh, in, in probably the most competitive industry in the world. But to be honest, all the stuff we did in the early days were just gimmicks, and since then we've become a lot more mature. We say that our—we actually say that we're not in the business of disruption; we're in the business of survival. Because if you think about it, there's so many, there's more than a billion smartphones sold every year, and the number of players that can offer a consumer a smartphone—they're becoming fewer and fewer. So as long as you survive in this industry, then you have a bigger and bigger opportunity. So we kind of shifted from that, those early days of a lot of gimmicks, a lot of You know, underdog disruption to、uh, survival, actually. But survival within that created great creativity and then forced you to really go think think beyond what what a lot of players in the space did. So Ryan, I want to turn to you because you're you're creating some disruption in the real estate market as well、um, with with your company. To put it simply, it's an e-commerce site for investing in real estate. It's a little bit more complicated than that, and and you can speak on that.、Uh, but in a matter of years, you said you just celebrated your third birthday with the company. You've、uh, seen huge success in terms of the number of the real estate. Um, within your portfolio, you recently re- raised 65 million dollars in a Series C funding. So, talk about the evolution in your company, how you were able to crack open、um, a very, very complicated sector and build meaningful ground in such a short period of time. Sure.、Uh, first thing is, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds.、Um, promise you that. You know, when you think about sort of the iconic brands and companies of our time, Amazon. Apple, Airbnb.、Um, oftentimes, you ask, you know, what is sort of the the unique differentiator in those companies? And I believe it's really trust, right? It's trust that、uh, each of those companies will deliver a quality customer user experience at better prices or with、uh, significantly more efficiency than any incumbents. And in many ways. 
we are taking that same approach. We want to deliver trust. The difference from those companies, though, that we believe the stakes are higher in the commercial real estate and alternative space. Uh, we believe the industry is way more antiquated than uh, any of the, the aforementioned companies or industries. Uh, I oftentimes say that the biggest technological jump the past 50 years in real estate was from fax to email. Um, so, low bar. Um, and when you really take a step back and, and think about what it means to own real estate, what it means to own alternatives, um, more than 60% of our global millionaires made their money in some way, shape, or form through real estate. But it's available to a tiny, tiny fraction, right? And so I say all that to say we're focused on creating a level of trust in an industry that sort of seemed like a, a dream for many people. And through technology, we've been able to actually build uh, the world's first digital stock market for commercial real estate. And uh, as we progress and build the platform, um, we're going to have to continue to navigate all the challenges that come with growing to nearly 75 people in less than uh, three years and um, raising money from some of the premier institutions and VCs, but still keeping sort of a core focus on that purpose of providing universal access to the asset class. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's been something where we've maintained parity between the purpose of what we're doing, again, to provide universal participation to the asset class, but also parity with the profits of actually building sustainable company. So, so for those of you who uh, don't know uh, Ryan previously, uh, in New York, he's known as a rock star. Uh, he's, he is, uh, at a very young age, uh, actually started uh, accumulating uh, residential real estate and really set the model of which uh, Blackstone, who is now the largest owner of real estate in the world, uh, used. And so uh, that's a perfect example of a young person with a really good idea who had the talent, went in and literally started an industry, not just a company, uh, and now he's partnered with the uh, largest uh, real estate uh, equity holder in the entire world, which is pretty amazing. Thank you. Appreciate it. All of you guys, you know, in, in, in the discussions have talked about this concept of putting the customer at, at the center of everything and this, this relationship, this trust. But sometimes it can be challenging for a founder. Sometimes there's trade-offs that, that, that you feel may need to be made. Carl, you said you founded the company with the mantra of never settle. You said maybe that sounds too simple, but we believe that if you create the best products and create a high level of service, it's hard not to be successful in the long run. You said it's good enough to make a, a, a what was it, like a 90% product. It's hard enough to go that last 10%. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, you've actually made trade-offs in terms of sales. You could have been a lot bigger, a lot faster if you didn't stay, stay true to that. Mm -hmm. Describe how you, you actually do that. Were there ever challenges for you or tensions in, in moving that forward? Mm, I think one of the things that we can do right now, if we wanted to grow really quickly, is to make a cheap smartphone. Because uh, OnePlus has a huge market in India, and in the recent uh, study, I think we have, in the Q3, um, like 60-something percent of the premium smartphone space in India. Because most people in India still buy the cheap phones, so there's not a lot of competition in the premium space. If we really wanted to grow quickly, we can make a $100 phone. That's not a long-term strategy for us. Another example um, on the survival thing. When we were in our first year and launched the, the first phone, the OnePlus One, and got a lot of rave reviews, a lot of great buzz all, all around the world, one of South Korea's largest telecom operators um, came to our office and wanted to purchase 200,000 phones. 
And that was at a value of around $60 million. And for a new company, $60 million, that's a lot of revenue. So it was really hard to kind of say no to this deal. We said no to this deal because we told them that we wanted 50% upfront. You got to pay us $30 million before we even order one component. Because if you order 200,000 phones, and in the end you only take 50,000 phones, we end up with 150,000 that we don't know how to deal with. And in hindsight, we actually made the right decision in saying no to this opportunity. Uh, after they got rejected by us, they went to another new brand, brought, in, brought that brand into South Korea, and sold 20 to 30,000 phones. So we, if we would have taken that deal, we would have gone bankrupt. And we'll be right back after this quick break, this Forbes Under 30 podcast, and the following message comes from Amica Insurance. We're living in the age of the discerning shopper when savvy consumers increasingly favor brands that value authenticity, ethics, and a great shopping experience. Amica is committed to being a company people trust. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes and find out why 95% of Amica customers with combined auto and home policies stay with them. One more time, that's meetamica.com slash Forbes to find out more about Amica Insurance. Podcast One has new shows on our new app. Check out all the cool features to help you explore our exciting new programming, like America's Lakers podcast with Jay Moore, So Random with Corinne Olympios, Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast, Not Just Sports with Susie Schuster and Rich Eisen, and Sessions with Randy Jackson, as well as your old favorites like The Lady Gang, Steve Austin, Shaquille O'Neal, and Adam Carolla. Get the new Podcast One app in the App Store, Google Play, or PodcastOne.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. You wouldn't be surprised if I told you I carry an iPhone. But I also have a OnePlus 5, uh, which Carl gave me uh, uh, right there earlier this year. You didn't have to smash yours on YouTube to get it. <laughs> no. Uh, and what's amazing about the OnePlus 5 is the incredible attention to design, to, to detail, to quality. Uh, so it's not surprising that he has you know, such a large share of the premium market in uh, India. But Staying focused, staying focused, is, uh, and he's done that consistently ever, ever since. I, we only make uh, one no, product no. at a time yeah. instead of everything in every range. So stay, stay focused and keep your blinders on in yeah. terms of, of what your mission is and how do you execute on it. Uh, Ryan, I'll ask you because you um, in, in three years have raised a significant amount of capital in your organization. You said you're 75 people, but in terms of the scale in which you're operating um, and in terms of the real estate market is significant and you've, you've been able to raise a significant amount of funding as well. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you're seeing in this, in this new growth phase for you all um, and some of the inflection points that have been defining in your company. Sure. So the first thing I'll say, and I, I consistently reiterate it, and um, I think every single time I say it, it resonates a little bit more, is that uh, growth and comfort can't coexist. So to ultimately move the needle and do things you've never done before, you have to do things you've never done before. And that's not comfortable. And so for, for us, I think there's um, a focus of 
ensuring that we remind ourselves that failure is not the enemy of success. I like the point John brought up earlier related to what real failure, failure means. Uh, and it's really challenging when you're talking to folks who spent 10, 15 years in a corner office at Blackstone or Starwood, and if you got a number on a model right or wrong, you know, there were different implications. And so uh, for us at Cadre, I tell our team all the time, let's make sure that we're taking the shots because that's how we'll learn what our range is. Let's make sure we never take shots or make plays that'll take us out the game. So make sure that there's not those irreversible kind of decisions or failures. Um, but making sure that that kind of innovation and creativity lasts as you scale and grow has really been the biggest challenge for us. Um, but it's also been the biggest opportunity. And I think that's why you've seen us grow you know, at an unparalleled rate. I think that's why you've seen us penetrate the market. And, and that's why we're now beginning to think a lot about expansion um, clearly within the asset class, but ultimately to any alternative that's been opaque or a liquid, whether it's infrastructure, timber, oil, energy, natural resources. Um, the best companies, the opportunity gets bigger every day, and you have to make sure you're continuing to innovate to realize it. When we often talk about growth, we, we talk about uh, competitors. And Carl, you said um, we always see ourselves as our biggest competitors. Our own mistakes hurt us much more than what other people do. How do you stay so focused um, in terms of, of inside the company, and how are you able to, to block out what, what others are doing, or at least to, to really just stay, stay inward to be able to propel you forward? I think it's pretty logical when you think about it. If you look at Apple, it's a company with, uh, I think, 116,000 employees, and we are just under 700, and they probably have, so they're like 200 times larger than us, and probably have 200 times larger of a market share. So right now, the decisions that we make internally will hurt us or benefit us much more than what the market does or what the competitors does. So it just makes sense. We haven't yet earned a seat at the table to be able to compare ourselves with the large companies. Yeah, I think it's a great point, too. And the way we think about it is from a strategy standpoint, you know, we, we build our strategy in, from sort of inward going outward, right, versus outward inward. You know, we're not worrying about, you know, what the latest funds are, are doing or what Goldman Sachs is doing, even though they're an investor with us. Um, you know, we're focused very much on um, our vision of transforming the world. And I think if you maintain that focus, and you can look at Apple, you can look at any of the great companies of our time, uh, the strategy was always about uh, the, the inner purpose. It wasn't reactionary. And I think clearly with Carl's business as well, um, that's what's enduring, right? And I think that uh, it's challenging to maintain that because there's distraction, but um, it's kind of what's most impactful in, in the success ultimately of these companies. So I asked John, um, you know, and you all talk about failures. Um, I asked him, um, you know, what was his most successful failure in terms of a misstep early on in building your business that really has been maybe a make or break moment, but has been formative in terms of propelling you forward. Carl, if you were to think back um, in five years that, that you, since you've launched OnePlus, what's been one of the growth, greatest growth lessons or maybe the most painful growth lesson that you've had to learn um, that you think, you think is, is, could be impactful to this audience? I think personally the biggest lesson for me has been one of humility because uh, growing up I was also always a little bit arrogant and you know, I was 24 when we started this company and in the first year we generated $300 million in revenue and I generated 200 out of those 300. So it kind of propelled my um, arrogance even further and the entire team was really, really proud. Re really, really proud after the, the first year. So we, we have made a lot of mistakes in our second year on the product, on the service, on the marketing. 
And we actually almost uh, went bankrupt in our second year. And I think, as bad as it might look financially, a really valuable lesson that came out of the second year was that we really need to be humble. If you're not humble, if you're not open to other people's ideas, then you can never learn and you can never improve. That's great advice. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, again, it goes back to a principle. No company can scale based off self-determination alone. And I'm not going to will us to success. And growing up, um, you know, I'm from Louisiana originally. There weren't a lot of folks in Louisiana um, building companies or businesses. Uh, definitely not a lot sort of at this scale. And so I always believe that I could will you know, myself, my, my uh, uh, community, my organization to success. And I um, realized pretty quickly I couldn't. You know, when it was you know, Friday night at 12.30 a.m. or um, Saturday at the same time and I was the only one in the office working, I was like, you know what, this probably does not scale um, you know, much more than a few months from now or I'll you know, be uh, not a cadre anymore. And so I think that the important lesson for me and I think for everybody here is you're only going to be as good as your team. And as the stakes get higher, you, know, you have to truly empower and be comfortable and confident letting your team learn. And um, it's really, really tough when you're an entrepreneur, when you're building something to sort of let go uh, and, and build that trust with your team. And uh, we've had, I mean, we could spend all day going through the, the times where I tried to do something, I was not the best person to do it, and we had missteps. Um, but I think that's been the most important lesson and the theme that drove uh, some of the, the failures and now successes we're beginning to see. So if, if, you know, John, you said that, that um, we have some rock stars, um, entrepreneurs on the stage. You're, you're a rock star as well on uh, the work that you've done. As we close up, if, you know, if, if we were to look at each of your careers, um, what's one lesson that you, you think this audience could learn from your experience or that you at least, you know, hear from entrepreneurs, what, what, they're, what they're looking for in terms of advice? What, what would you like to impart with them? I'll start with you, John. Well, the thing I see in common among those people who have been just outrageously successful uh, is they have an insatiable curiosity. They're curious about everything, not just the mission of their company, but they're just curious of things they observe around them, what others are doing, what they're doing, uh, what the team is doing. And so curiosity is a fundamental characteristic of an entrepreneur. The, the last observation I would make is, uh, Margaret, when you asked me to uh, join you in this, in this panel, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come, Moira, but uh, only if you'll let me go to the uh, women uh, under 30 event yesterday at uh, MIT Media Lab. And uh, that was an amazing experience, so thank you for that. The future, uh, more and more, is going to be about women. And, and, and the reason why I asked to uh, be able to speak yesterday was um, I was there to learn. And I have to tell you, it was an amazing group of presenters and uh, audience and people I, I uh, met yesterday. Uh, there's a saying in Silicon Valley, what, what uh, got us here won't get us there. Uh, we won't get there without women in leadership. Uh, that's such a fundamental part of uh, building for the, for the future. Well, I, I thank you for that, and, and I agree. Um, <laughs> Carl, what's, what's one thing that others in here can learn from, from your story, or at least that you get asked a lot about, that you think would be impactful? I think for me it would be to create your own opportunities, because how can a 
So if you look at my example, how can a kid who grew up in Europe go to China and start a, at 24, create this smartphone that can rival the quality of the largest companies in the world? It just doesn't make sense. And what happened was I went to China, uh, I reached out to one of the vice presidents of one of China's largest smartphone companies on social media, and I told him I wanted, I wanted to meet up. And when we met up, I had a lot of passion, but I was also very young and naive, so I just naively told him I wanted to change the world. And I think he'd never seen that before, so he gave me an opportunity to write a business plan, and that's how we started working together. So this opportunity is not an opportunity you could have found on a job site. It's, you gotta go out and create your own opportunities. Ryan. Sure. I think for, for me, um, and for our company, and for people I speak with, and give advice to, I think that the, the important high level is life is short, and um, through technology, the impact that anyone can have now is you know, disproportionately greater than it's ever been. And if you're not building something or doing something where you feel like you're making others' lives better, or where there's not a, a broader purpose or meaning, um, you should probably reassess what you're doing. And it doesn't need to be, you know, building Apple. It doesn't need to be creating the world's first platform for democratizing commercial real estate. Um, but I do think that purpose is enduring. And, you know, when the profits are fluctuating and the company's going through ups and downs, it's the one uh, principle and the one theme that you can hold on to. And it's what's gotten me personally and professionally through a lot of challenges, knowing that I can uh, promote greater self-determination amongst the underserved and um, I had to do some, some reflection as well as I built this company. And that would be my advice is that um, do everything you can to make sure that you are focused on also um, adding value to make this world a better place, to leave a legacy and an impact. I love that. Well, thank you to you all. Some, some great lessons around, obviously, the importance of creating your opportunity, taking risks, taking the shots that, that matter. Team, people, and customers are everything. At the end of the day, the only thing you have is trust. Um, I love that, that Carl, you know, stay humble because I think that that could be challenging um, when you're on the, the uptick, um, but, but you definitely learn it on, on the, the downward, downward ascent. Uh, stay curious, and John, that's something that you've exemplified throughout your career. Uh, and obviously, all, all of you speak to the, the importance of working towards something bigger, and so often we hear about um, um, the importance of leaving a legacy through the work that we do, but that really requires us to live that legacy day in and day out in the businesses and the cultures that we create in our organization. So thank you to my panelists for a wonderful conversation and the amazing insights that you shared. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcastone.com.
2017 was a great year for us here at Podcast One, and we hope it was a great year for you. We launched new shows with Caitlin Bristow, Jim Harbaugh, Dick Enberg, and Randy Jackson. We've had some amazing guests stop by some of our shows, like Brian Cranston on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Juliet Louis Dreyfus on All of the Above with Norman Lear. And Jason Bateman on Spike's Car Radio with Spike Ferriston. We are looking forward to a bright 2018 with new shows coming online, like MySpace Tom Anderson. And we are welcoming back Dennis Miller to the podcast scene. This is Heather Dubrow. Happy holidays. Cheers. I'm Caitlin Bristow, and I want to wish you happy holidays. Hey, guys, it's Kelsey Knight from the Lady Gang. Happy holidays. We'll see you in the new year. From all of us here at Podcast One, we want to wish you a very happy holiday and a happy new year. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.